in the Democratic Republic of Congo, they have remote hydropower, okay? And in that situation, nobody really lives there, or if they do, they're very poor. And so it's a very like dark human place and they don't really have very much money. However, Bitcoin miners, uh, kind of a public-private partnership, Bitcoin miners colonize that energy asset. And what did that do? Okay, Bitcoin miners are captive customers, so they make the investment cheaper. And they're captive customers during that short initial window when there's really no demand for the energy. So it essentially helps bootstrap a new energy production facility. And over time, okay, now you have an energy asset that's producing energy at a low cost. So that will attract industry. Right. Industry is kind of that intermediate species that might be a manufacturer or some sort of process that wants a lot of energy. And OK, if you have a manufacturing process, you need people who live there. So you need houses, you need services, you need restaurants, you need bars. And now all of a sudden a stranded energy asset turns into a manufacturing hub, turns into a residential hub, turns into a, a flourishing human civilization. Welcome to the Wake Up Podcast in episode number 60 with my good friend and one of my favorite Bitcoiners on the planet, Brandon Quidham. Most people know him as the Mushroom Guy. Um, he wrote that fabulous series, Mycelium and Bitcoin, I think it was called, something, something like that. We dig into his latest essay, which is the first essay in the latest edition of the Bitcoin Times. It's called The Pioneer Species, and it looks at Bitcoin through the lens of ecology. Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Um, now, this is a deep dive on energy, biology, um, evolution, ecology, and all of this, like an analysis on complex systems and how a complex system, particularly a living complex system, requires a capacity to harness energy in order for it to evolve, grow, and turn into something more. So we, we get into all sorts of stuff here. Like we're going to do a series of pods. I don't know if it's going to be the next five or some order, but with each of like, I'll be recording with each of the authors of the latest edition of the Bitcoin times, which is edition four. So have a listen to this. There, there is so much depth here. We got, we go off into a bunch of tangents uh, in the middle of it, which, you know, is, Usually my favorite parts of the freaking um, podcast, you know, just having discussions and deep discussions with really good people um, is something I enjoy. And I'm sure it's something all of you guys enjoy. So in any case, download for yourselves after listening to this, um, the Bitcoin Times Edition 4. You'll find that at HTTPS, uh, I think, colon, forward slash, forward slash, whatever that initial part of a fucking um, website thing is. But it's just bitcointimes.news. Get in there, download it, listen to this episode, share it far and wide. It's one of the best um, deep dives on understanding Bitcoin through the lens of um, energy, biology, ecology, um, and the complex system that it is. I'll see you guys on the next episode. And we're live. Welcome to episode number 60 of the Wake Up Podcast. And this is the first part of the Bitcoin Times Edition 4 series um, with my man, Brandon Quidham. 
who is the head of comms at Swan Bitcoin, and everyone knows him as the fucking mushroom guy. So, dude, <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Super pumped to have this one. Absolutely, bro. Fuck, when, when was the last time we caught up? It was like I think it was over a year ago now. I think, man. I'm I was in Germany from what I remember, and it was me, you, and Gigi doing like Bitcoin biology or something. Oh yeah, in a podcast, I think that was the last one. I would say I think yeah. we saw each other in Dallas or Austin, maybe this year. Yeah, I think I think almost Zip Lock Boom Time, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when we last caught up face to face. But yeah, like um, yeah, episode twenty. Do you know what? That's still one of the the most downloaded episodes, and that was when the podcast first started out. Like people still just love that conversation that me and Gigi had. Um, so we got to do that again at some point. Yeah, to be honest, I was in a just a puddle on the floor after that one. Just so much insight. I had a hard oh, yeah, time yeah, just okay. like, yeah, my mind was just totally shattered from that one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That was that was one of the better conversations. <laughs> when you just said puddle on the floor, I was like thinking, wasn't Gigi wearing the fucking green suit and dying and sweating? <laughs> but yeah, okay. <laughs> a different kind of puddle. Um, anyway, on... On this episode, um, so on this discussion, we're going to talk about, I mean, you know, something extremely related, which is uh, an essay you, we're, we're going to basically riff off the recent essay you wrote for the Bitcoin Times um, called The Pioneer Species. And honestly, I, I remember back to when I first reached out to you to participate um, and, and you originally had a, I think it was another idea for, for an article. And then you mentioned this one and I was like, holy fuck, like this is the one. Um, it was just, you know, when I said the theme about a new hope and, you know, make, like progress into the future. And when you kind of described the the thesis of a pioneer species, um, I don't know, man, it just, it just hit me. And then when you actually finally wrote it and delivered it, it's fucking not only blown me away, but blown everyone away, man. So it's definitely one of my favorite, favorite Bitcoin essays written of all time, probably. So first of all, thank you for writing oh. it. Second of all, thank you for coming up with the idea and framing everything. Um, and then third, for people listening, can you kind of give the high-level overview of what a pioneer species is and what its relationship to Bitcoin is? And then we can dig into the details. Yeah, absolutely. And with regard to Bitcoin times, I do remember that conversation when we were discussing, hey, should we try to do an essay? What will it be? Um, to be honest, I, I had this idea a year and a half ago or so when I saw the Democratic Republic of Congo start mining and I was studying ecology at the time and my mind just exploded. However, that was during 2020 when all the COVID hysteria stuff was going nuts and I was trying to figure out like what's going on in the world. So I sort of put that on pause, studied the fourth turning and did that whole thing and then finally mm -hmm. came back to it. And that conversation is what sparked me to go back and sort of like get in my notes and actually put something to it. And I'm so, so glad you did bro. So glad. Appreciate it. Same, same. It was a pain in the ass to write, to be honest. It was very, very challenging. And so, yeah, you gave me a little confidence boost. And I think one thing to think about before we get in the analogy is the world right now is not looking optimistic. The average person is short term. Everything looks horrible. All the media is about like the end of the world. And there's really not a lot of hope in the world. And I think the Bitcoin community is probably the strongest nucleus for hope. And so 
I wanted to take ecology, energy, Bitcoin mining, which are pretty thorny, challenging subjects for most people, and tons of people get them wrong, even people into crypto. And I wanted to sort of like get rid of all the misconceptions and paint this in a really optimistic light. And so kind of an antidote to all the, the suffering in the world that we see today. Um, and it, it, you know what, that intersection and how you, you weaved those different elements together and just, I don't know, man, it, it's, it's, as you said, it's so needed at the moment because I don't know, man, we, we genuinely live in a clown world and the, I think what I really wanted to do with this piece, because because the last the last Bitcoin Times was um was the 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 theme was a Promethean the Promethean idea of stealing the fire back from the gods, right? And and there was a bunch of pieces there which was like you know let's take the power back, but then um you know there was there was a bit of dark writing in there as well, and you know me and Eric Kaysen, I think you know we we really delved into like I wrote Utopian Dystopias and he wrote um. The piece about uh how what was it like i i remember the i don't remember the headline but the image for the for the piece was like a a boot stomping on you know your head or on your neck whatever it is for the rest of time i think i think that came out of Orwell or something so so anyway it was it was, it was a darker thing um and and this one i just thought we need we need some hope and yeah, man, like how you've managed to weave them all together and very, very thorny, totally misunderstood topics, disciplines, concepts. Yeah, the, the, that I think is why this is one of my favorite um, favorite pieces ever. Yeah, I appreciate that. And to, to an onlooker, they might say, what the hell does ecology have to do with Bitcoin or previous essays, what does fungi have to do with Bitcoin? And those are good questions. And I think the way I answer that is analogies are really helpful. Um, you know, like analogies are not Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not a literal mushroom. Mm -hmm. uh, Bitcoin miners are not literal pioneer species, which people will critique. However, for these novel things that are complicated, humans do benefit from analogies, right? And especially diverse analogies. And when you find something that has similar themes in biology that also maps to technology, that also might map to something else, the more versions of that overlap of those themes, the more truthiness you can sort of apply to those things. And so I would say to people who are skeptical, just have an open mind, use this as a way to learn something and stories stick. And so I try to tell mm -hmm. stories through biology to remember these sort of like complicated technical concepts. So let's jump into it. So what is a pioneer species? Um, a pioneer species is a unique organism, and that organism's uh, sort of role in ecology is to colonize barren landscapes. So kind of the famous example is there's a volcan uh, volcanic island near Iceland. I forgot the name, doesn't matter. Uh, the volcano erupted, wiping out all life on the island. Okay, so what happens then? Is it just a dead island forever? Uh, no, there are unique species, the pioneer species, who are uniquely suitable to come to that dead, barren wasteland and colonize it and sort of bootstrap the, the process of life. So usually pioneer species are, uh, they have seeds that birds carry, birds poop on a new island and that kind of starts it off, or they have seeds that can go into the ocean and they just float in the ocean until they accidentally hit dry land, uh, a few other different examples. So think of a species that lands on the island 
and it's it's a very hardy species it's drought tolerant it doesn't need any help it, and it just burrows its way into this volcanic rock and starts to survive and over time that single organism starts to create soil it starts to prepare the land for lesser uh, or, or less robust organisms we'll call them intermediate species right who they couldn't colonize it until after the pioneer species came and then over time it continues to develop more complexity and more organisms are able to land there and then eventually that island turns into a climax uh, community which is essentially like the apex uh, complexity of that type of ecosystem and at that point what uniquely happens is the pioneer species get kicked out um, in favor of these more grand organisms. So you can think like an oak tree might shade out the little pioneer species, but an oak tree couldn't survive until the soil was good enough, right? And that pioneer species created the good soil. And so, okay, how does that have anything to do with Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin miners are like that pioneer species. So we'll use an example. Um, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, they have remote hydropower, okay? And in that situation, nobody really lives there, or if they do, they're very poor. And so it's a very like dark human place, and they don't really have very much money. However, Bitcoin miners, uh, kind of a public-private partnership, Bitcoin miners colonize that energy asset. And what did that do? Okay, Bitcoin miners are captive customers, so they make the investment cheaper. And they're captive customers during that short initial window when there's really no demand for the energy. So it essentially helps bootstrap a new energy production facility. And over time, okay, now you have an energy asset that's producing energy at a low cost. So that will attract industry. Right. Industry is kind of that intermediate species that might be a manufacturer or some sort of process that wants a lot of energy. And OK, if you have a manufacturing process, you need people who live there. So you need houses, you need services, you need restaurants, you need bars. And now all of a sudden a stranded energy asset turns into a manufacturing hub, turns into a residential hub, turns into a, a flourishing human civilization. And that might take 50 years or something like that. But the core here is the energy asset bootstraps the civilization. And so that's kind of how the two work. And then tying it back to pioneer species getting kicked out by that shady oak tree, same with Bitcoin miners. As soon as end user customers like you and I want to heat our house, we're willing to pay a lot for that energy, whereas Bitcoin miners can only afford very low cost energy to be profitable. So eventually those Bitcoin miners get kicked out. And what do they do? Well, since they're mobile, they just go find the next energy asset to bootstrap. And so if you zoom way out, these Bitcoin miners are like little citadel seeds, seeding little pockets of human flourishing. And in a time like this, where Germany is prices are doubled year over year, the UK is not sure how they're going to heat homes this winter. Um, it's a pretty important thing that we get the energy straight. Right. And that yeah. kind of comes back to all the energy misunderstandings. But I'll, I'll pause now. That's the general thesis. Amazing. So, so I think that sums it up. I mean, obviously, perfectly, and 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 for me, I mean that that was a more comprehensive sum up from what you first when when we first discussed it and before you before you wrote it. But like th that just makes for me it just makes so much sense. But the 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 basis upon which this is all built, which is where we should go next, where you're about to go, is like why is um, energy so important? You know, what why does why why is there an outgrowth of um you know industry et cetera et cetera from 
the um i guess from a energy source being kind of central to us so, so let's kind of talk about that why it's important and um and what people kind of miss about it because you know in the world at the moment like there's discussions about like let's uh let's cover up the fucking sun let's turn off the you know the energy that we're producing energy is bad let's be carbon neutral which is the only time you're carbon neutral is when you die even then you're not fucking carbon neutral so it's like everything is backwards at the moment so let's maybe start at energy why the hell it's important um and why the path to not only producing more energy but the path to energy mastery or at least and even the outcome of energy mastery is um is such an important part of the development of species yeah good good frame here super super important so i'll just cover some sort of like high level energy stuff and how i see it um there's so many misunderstandings with energy and it, it's really become more obvious to me once i started seeing bitcoins to energy consumption butt into like mainstream new york times think pieces you start to realize how uneducated people are and okay i get it i i knew very little about the energy industry until bitcoin started to come into the world then you go deep in this thing and you kind of like follow nick carter's breadcrumbs and you start to like start to see how this stuff works um, but the first thing to realize is that it's widely misunderstood and that wouldn't be a problem except for the fact that these pundits turn these like climate fear energy fear things into policy right we touched on this earlier uh due to climate change hysteria nuclear uh all the nuclear power or a lot of them got shut down in germany okay that sounds cute but the end result is that people can't afford energy in germany so obviously not a good use of resources and so i guess the point is the rubber meets the road here if we get this wrong humans suffer and energy is upstream of pretty much all human progress um, it's it's so incredibly important. All of our fertilizer comes from energy and fossil fuels. So essentially, if we want to feed the world as we do today, we need fertilizer. We need a lot of energy. You want to heat your homes so you don't die in the winter. You need a lot of energy, right? You want to cool your homes. You want to move around. Everything we do is is downstream of energy. And so there's really no optimistic version of the future that doesn't have a increasing energy demand for our species. And if you want to just keep it simple, uh, in the tweet thread introducing this, I, I put a chart there, uh, which is essentially just GDP per capita uh, against energy consumption, right? So it's very highly correlated. Um, the higher your GDP, the higher your energy demands are. And, and that makes complete sense, right? Yeah. That allows you Let's to um, do everything. I mean, that I remember and someone was like, oh, yeah, but if you look at the last few years, those countries have like, you know, tapered off or whatever. And I was like, yeah, exactly. You clown over the last 20 years, if anything, uh, you know, modern society has fucking regressed, not progressed. Like we've become worse off across every dimension just because we're a little bit more technologically adept doesn't mean anything like we're actually destroying our capital base. We're not actually moving forward at the moment. But I guess what I, anyway what i want to pull on there is just just the very the a priori truth almost or the axiomatic truth of energy kind of representing life i mean me me and me and mark moss were just just did a book sprint together actually and um and we we just wrote the uncommunist manifesto <laughs> so this ah, is um nice yeah, it's, it's going to be a short book, basically, you know, ch changing the frame from some, you know, 
arbitrarily defined fucking two class struggle into the struggle between the individual trying to, uh, you know, claim and maintain autonomy and the collectivist idea of there is no individual and that we're all just one homogenous fucking lump of, you know, automatons. So, so we're kind of shifting that and we're also kind of redefining the idea of capitalism. And for me, capitalism is, you know, it's not a political system. It's, it's a, it's an organic process. Like, uh, plants are capitalist, mushrooms are capitalist, you know, all animals are capitalist or all, all like capitalism is actually anti-entropy to me. It is the process of taking uh, chaos in some form and transforming it into order. And then from the new order, you get a new higher level version of chaos, which you then transform into more order. So, so that process, you know, is a progressive process, but that ties into the idea of energy for me is that each time we have a greater level of order. We require the um, the use and the harnessing and the utilization of more energy. Um, it is the opposite to the entropic force, which you know goes the other way. You know, entropy takes order and turns it into chaos, and it is the process of dissipating energy. What we're trying to do is we're trying to harness energy. So, so for me, in that sense, like life is the manifestation of energy moving in the opposite direction to entropy, you know, like if we say it that way. So, so I think I really want to lay that foundation. Maybe you can talk to that a little bit as kind of how energy in a, not just a physics sense and a chemical sense and a biological sense, but like in every single sense, it is where everything, everything starts basically. Um, and then it grows out from there. Yeah. Yeah. Good framing. I'm very excited about the uncommunist manifesto. I think we totally need to like redefine these things. Young people are being seduced by, by collectivist ideas. And I get where they're coming from. They look around, they see a world that's going to shit. They see the old people who kind of sold their future. And so what their instinct is to try to change something and they just chose the wrong thing to change, right? Capitalism is so much more fundamental than whatever like political economy games are being played right now. That's the problem. It's not capitalism markets or any sort of free trade or reap what you sow. Those are obviously positive things for humanity. That's where wealth comes from to begin with. And one other point was that yeah, in terms of like the grand scale with entropy, yeah, capitalism or like the desire to improve your lot in life or whatever, these are just emergent things. These are biologically programmed in every single organism ever. That's the engine of biology. That's why we're able to have this conversation is because three billion years ago, some cyanobacteria learned how to harness energy from the sun and create food through photosynthesis, right? And then every single step along the way of harnessing energy. And so from like a, yeah, let's just start with that, the oxygen revolution. Three billion years ago, there was no oxygen in the atmosphere. Um, okay, so that means there's uh, really no animals, there's really no plants, there's just these uh, tiny little types of bacteria who learned how to convert the sun's energy into food. And what the byproduct that they produced was exhaling oxygen. So the first uh, kind of like pseudo early plants. Okay, now we have an oxygen rich environment. Uh, fast forward another billion years, we have the first complex life, the first eukaryote. So multi-celled organisms appear, um, which includes plants and animals. And the idea here is that we have these Again, they're tiny microscopic things at the time. And the idea is that one organism sort of absorbed another one. 
And so by accident, one thing absorbed the other, now there's two stuck in one cell membrane. Um, and one of those things that kind of kicked it off was mitochondria. So mitochondria is a primitive type of bacteria that more complex life absorbed, the power plant of the cell, if you remember eighth grade biology, and now all of a sudden we absorbed bacteria and now humans still today and all things before us have used that. And so that happy little accident of merging bacteria um, created the Cambrian explosion, created all the life. Again, fast forward even more, we have humans, right? So we obviously skipped a few steps, but think about how humans harness energy, right? Humans can, can run around, we can physically manipulate our environment with our, with our digits, um, we also learned how to burn things, right? So we learned how to burn biomass. If you start a fire with some wood, um, that's a pretty good way to generate heat and cook our food. But compared to now or compared to the Industrial Revolution, that's pretty primitive, right? Industrial Revolution, we learned how to harness hydrocarbons. We found uh, oil, we found coal, we found uh, different forms of hydrocarbons, which are extremely dense forms of energy, which totally catalyzed the, the industrial revolution, right? So we harness hydrocarbons, put it through a machine, steam engine or similar. And again, we're, we're, we're creating more complexity and ex, uh, extending ourselves away from entropy further and further with these tools. And that complexity is only possible because we have uh, the ability to harness more energy. And so each time you increase that energy capacity or the ability to harness it, you actually increase the carrying capacity of the ecosystem, which is like the maximum amount of life that's sustainable in that ecosystem. So these are really important step functions, right? Otherwise, we might be still floating in a sea as little cyanobacteria, uh, but no, we, we harness more energy, increase complexity, increase carrying capacity. And I think Bitcoin mining is, is the next evolution of that. Mm -hmm. And it, it actually teaches us, it is a tool, it is a syllabus, it is a a, a lesson for humans uh, to master energy, right? Mm -hmm. And humans don't do things without incentives. And so all Bitcoin is, is tweaking a tiny little incentive at the rock bottom part of human organization. And the crazy thing is that one little incentive has massive downstream effects. And, and that explosion, that exponential curve coming from this tiny thing is what makes us so interesting. And Okay, wait a second. What is ecology? Ecology is looking at incentives in a system. It's like systems thinking applied to biology. And in systems thinking, you look at if I make a change, what are the reactions to that change? And I think I'm going to tie this back to the central planners and the world we live in now, which is that our central planners view our world and, and human civilization um, as a simple machine. They think they There's can just linear. increase taxes on the rich and all of a sudden everything's happy and we have equality. No, every little change you do in human civilization has unintended consequences. And their arrogance is that they think they understand the whole system and all they do is pull a lever and they have all these predictable results. No, the exact opposite is true. This, this thing is so much more complex than we can imagine. And so we need to be mindful of the changes that we introduce into systems, because otherwise we're going to do one thing on the left side and, and a bunch of bad things going to happen on the other side. Like um, a, a short example is the cobra effect right? in India. They had too many snakes. OK, they didn't like the cobras. So the Indian government says one dollar for every cobra head you turn into the local government. OK, sounds like a good idea. But then what happens? 
the, the enterprising young Indians, they start breeding cobras. Now there's cobra farms all over the country and they're breeding them, chopping off heads. And all of a sudden there's a thousand times more cobras than there was before uh, because they created a poor incentive. And anyways, that's a long whole thing. And then, the point yeah. being, incentives well, matter. <laughs> they, they totally do. I think also the, the, the end part of the cobra thing is that, you know, they introduced the incentive the incentive created more cobras then they freaked out so they turned off the incentive so then everyone had all these extra cobras and they just let them out into the streets so that like it was just classic fucking intervention but anyway i, I wanted to i wanted to pull on two threads there so one is you know we, we talked about increasing complexity and increasing carrying capacity and the and the predicate for that to happen is the uh the increased capacity to harness and utilize energy right so i guess you know, someone may argue and say, well, why is that a good thing? Um, so, so I guess like, what I'm trying to ask you is like, what, what do you need to believe in order to think that increasing complexity and carrying capacity is a good thing? Like, you know, and, and I'm kind of trying to lead this question somewhere because um, I think I know the answer, but I'm curious to see what you think um, one needs to believe to A, oppose yeah. it, and to B, to, to support this process? Yeah, I think the, the argument against human population growth is that the world has finite resources and that humans inherently just overconsume. And if we allow humans to be in their natural state, we'll exceed our carrying capacity and everything will be gone tomorrow and we'll just like destroy the planet. Right. And that's what like World Economic Forum, uh, Bill Gates, a lot of the World Bank, IMF, a lot of the like people who appear to be pulling strings behind behind the scenes. All those folks believe this. Right. You could call it a Malthusian uh, perspective or you could call it um, uh, eugenicist perspective. Right. All these ideas are like population growth needs to decline. And so. I mean, there's some logic to that idea, but what that results in is uh, some group of people deciding who lives and who dies and who's able to reproduce. And so I think that version of the future looks like bad people uh, figure out a way to depopulate the planet. And I'm fundamentally against that idea. I think, it, I think it's wrong morally. I, think, I also don't think it needs to happen. So why doesn't it need to happen? I think that humans can use technology uh, to increase the carrying capacity of our species without going extinct, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that we can do better and we can probably triple our population on, on the planet, in my opinion, and be totally fine. Um, we can't do it overnight, right? There are incremental steps, but I'm, I'm fundamentally bullish on human life. I think it's good and I think more is better. Um, it doesn't mean we should be careless, but yeah, more is better. And yeah. I think also controversially, I think our destiny is the stars. And mm -hmm. so in order to get off this rock or have two colonies, let's say Earth, the moon, Mars and beyond, in order to achieve that future, which I think is our ultimate destiny, uh, we need a lot more energy. We need to be way smarter about it. And we have a lot of things to learn um, in order to achieve that. And this is a, a way to do that. OK, sweet. So I. I obviously 100% agree with you. I want to, you just created more threads for me to pull on you asshole. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think for me, the marker of someone who um, is even against the fundamental premise of uh, increasing carrying capacity to me is like sort of anti-human or anti-life, right? Like you, 
you have to be pro-life to agree that we as a species are basically we're just i've tried to describe humans as um like life is the fingertips of energy so it's like if you think of the big bang for example um you know or, or, or whatever version of you know the creation of the fucking universe you believe in but you know if it started somewhere assuming it did um life is basically the 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 fingertips reaching you know the, the energy reaching how can i how can i fucking phrase this some you know my brain's frying here it's like um it's the fingertips of energy reaching in a cosmic capacity right and humanity like conscious fucking humans you and i we're the fingertips of the fingertips like we're right at the very fucking edge we are energy incarnate and we've somehow formed in this you know version that itself as a body is incredibly fucking complex like we have no fucking idea how the body works um let alone the mind you know let alone the fucking brain and how that is able to to function like we're so early on and like this is life kind of energy happening through life and life happening through us so so for me you know i kind of look at these people who think that um you know the expansion or the harnessing of more and more energy is, is bad things i i kind of view them as having an extremely low i guess view or opinion or faith in human humanity human ingenuity uh, you know the capacity to innovate um the capacity to solve problems etc so it's like I don't know it, it drives me crazy because it's like if if that's what you think then just i mean shoot yourself like stop fucking trying to you know tell other people um what to do and i think that's a big difference and we were writing that bloody book this week um that was one thing that just rung so true for me you know from marxists and you know luddites is that they just don't have any faith in the capacity of human beings to solve these problems um along the way and i think people like us particularly bitcoiners we do we we have faith and it's like the faith involves getting the fuck out of the way and allowing individuals to actually th think innovate and work their way through the challenges that we're going to face as the system grows in both complexity and carrying capacity yeah, I, I think you brought up a lot of good points there. One, like the central planner class, they think that the only way forward is depopulation. And they also think that they're the smart ones with the degrees and the connections so that they are in, endowed with the responsibility of saving our species through this one approach. And I think that they, most of them genuinely think they're good guys and they think the ends justify the means. But this is ignorance, right? And ignorance is evil, and there's no there's no other way around that. And so, what they're doing is they're actually viewing the world at a lower plane, at a human level. And the mistake here is that the universe, or biology, or complexity, or God, or whatever you want to call the engine behind all this, that, in my belief, that is at a complexity plane that we are incapable of grasping on any normal waking life. You could say the monk in the in the cave who spends his life meditating probably touches that. You could say a high dose of DMT or some uh, psychedelic might touch that or spontaneous religious thing or various other modalities. 
And so generally speaking, I, I assign a much higher complexity there and they're operating at the human level, which is a materialist reality, uh, which is essentially garbage in, garbage out, right? They have the equations wrong. They have the assumptions wrong. Totally. I, I think, you know, I wrote a note here, which is they want to simplify humanity into a linear system. And the only way to do that is to transform a diverse set of individuals into automatons or numbers on a spreadsheet. It's like, you know, you've got reality, which is complex. And, and, and I think this is the cancer of, um, you know, the, the, the empirical nature of um, modern science that is spread into, like I, I talked about this in Bitcoin Chaos and Order, like it's, you know, you've got the study of matter and the study of what matters. You know, the study of matter requires, um, you know, calculations and, you know, the empirical sort of processes, but the study of what matters is, is kind of the ability to not model it and to step back and understand that it's a complex system and stop trying to squeeze the complex system into a clean fucking model and, and that that cancer of the mind almost has um has given these um you know central planners and their ilk the uh how can i say the the false confidence that if only we could fit reality into the model then everything will be okay. And when the reality doesn't fit in the model, then you just ignore the feedback. You're right. So you just censor everyone. You just pretend like, la, 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 la. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Um, and then anyone who points out and says, we're about to crash, you just like kill him because you're like, la, 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 la. You know, the model is right. Reality is wrong. And it's kind of, I mean, it even there's so many branches here. Like it ties into the whole Jordan Peter-esque idea of the map and the territory. Like, you know, building a fucking model of some simple equations to represent humanity and the world as some linear system and then ignoring the fact that your map doesn't look anything like the fucking territory is not only the height of stupidity and ignorance but it's like the height of fucking evil and that that's where we are today and it's mind-bogglingly stupid totally i want to underline yeah, ignorance is evil no, that was great. I want to underline why ignorance is evil and how that's changed over time. And this is a new thought for me. Okay. So people think ignorance is bliss, right? That that's the alternative position. That's taking the blue pill. It's, it's uh, just sticking your head in the sand and you don't have to feel any pain, give up all agency in your life and just be shepherded where to go. Least path of resistance, zero power, right? That that's the alternative approach. And to the individual, whatever, you make your own choice. I support you to make your own choice. But from a species level, we cannot afford to make the mistakes of the past. Okay, what is, what is that quote? It's like, those who uh, don't study history are doomed to repeat the, the lessons of history, right? And so that's true. And I think most people don't study history, but if we're running around with spears and flint and bow and arrows trying to capture a woolly mammoth, it doesn't really matter if we continue to make the mistakes because we can't really affect the species uh, on any on any important level. However, today we have nuclear bombs. We're a global economy. Everything's connected. We can engineer bioweapons. We can have drones. We can have mass surveillance tools. We can create a global techno fascist state run by AI. Right. So the consequences are higher. The stakes are higher now. And so as a species, we actually could end all of biological life on our planet for the first time ever. And so it's more important than ever that humans wake up because if we repeat the, the lessons of history, we have a chance to 
shut the light of consciousness, turn off the light. Mm -hmm. And that's devastating to me. Think about all the ancestors, biological, uh, biological ancestors from humans back to those cyanobacteria we started with. They all had to work, fight and reproduce and die so that we could be here today. And if we let that go because we're too arrogant or, or too ignorant to learn the lessons of history, that would be a shame. And so that's where like people like Elon Musk, who's a, a complex figure, there's a lot to dislike about him, but I think he's a really important sort of a, a it's just an important force in the world today because he fundamentally targets the big problems and he says, hey, we might kill ourselves. Let's put let's put some humans on Mars so that if we do, we don't extinguish the light of consciousness. And so I guess, yeah, to sum it up, ignorance is evil. The stakes are high. We, we can't afford those mistakes. So wake up, people. OK, I, I, hmm. I agree with everything you said there. I, I do want to push back on the Mars thing, though, um, but let, let me let me save that because um it, what we were just mentioning there about like extinguishing the light of consciousness i think that's a beautiful way to phrase it and and in the past what i've said is that you know if if life is this complex process that um basically experiments right that's that's what life does we're kind of like the latest experiment um and now some idiots have enough hubris to believe that we are somehow greater than all of life combined when in reality we're just you know the the tip we're the latest experiment and through ignorance we may well just become the latest failed experiment like we won't stop life life will just run a new experiment um you know we're not like we we may just extinguish this version of it um out of our own ignorance and stupidity and hubris and you know this this short-sighted thinking that we can control the uncontrollable right instead of allowing you know sort of life to happen through us we want to kind of compartmentalize box it up sterilize it transform it into a fucking equation and you know bob's your uncle and, and but that's that's not fucking how it works so anyway, that that i just wanted to underline that but to get into you mentioned earlier you know we can probably sustain uh, triple the amount of people. I'm actually writing an essay at the moment called uh, 100 billion people. Um, and I honestly think that the world can accommodate up to 100 billion people. Like when you look at how much of the planet is completely fucking unused, um, completely, uh, you know, energy resources completely underutilized, um, you know, things like vertical farming and everything else that we can potentially fucking do, like the amount of density that's available on the planet, like, and the amount of, and you compare that against the amount of wastage, like at the moment, and th this kind of brings up another thing which pisses me off is like when people fall into, I understand why they do it, but they fall into the, um, the frame of the ESG Nazis when they're trying to defend Bitcoin. They're like, oh yeah, but you know, Bitcoin has, 36% renewable energy. It's like, who gives a fuck? What Bitcoin fixes is the wastage. Because at the moment, for you and I to just go down the street and buy a fucking coffee with a visa card, like with our visa, we, we need to not only trust that company, but that company needs to, you know, that's issuing the visa, but they need to be plugged into the, the visa network, which needs to be plugged into the banking network, which needs to be bound by some sort of government and judicial system, which needs to be backed by the fucking might of the military. So you've got like all of this excess energy just so that you and I can go and tap a fucking card at a terminal um, and buy a coffee. So it's like 
all of this wastage. And when you combine that, like, you know, and this is where sort of complexity, you know, baffles people's minds. It's not a linear process. It's like an exponential fucking effect. You combine that with the complete mispricing of resources, the mispricing of problems, the mispricing of everything. Like instead of us solving fucking hunger, innovation today is a new dick pic or a fucking NFT like, um, like that that's considered innovation like that innovation doesn't happen in a functional world but that's apparently fucking innovation today because we've mispriced problems so when you when you look at all of that i would argue that we're wasting probably 90 percent of our resources and 99 percent of our energy and we're probably only harnessing you know a fraction maybe a 0.1 percent of the energy that we could harness um and as a result like everything is waste and we're somehow still, you know, sustaining maybe two and a half billion people. And then we've got another five and a half billion starving or something like that. So, so we're actually in that sense, like a hundred billion people to me is like a really small number for the planet on, you know, as we start to achieve energy mastery. And I, and I, I really want to kind of like shake people out of this frame. It's like, um, I mean, th this sort of leads me into the, into what I think is the Mars fallacy and what I call the great lie. It's like this idea that we have to leave the fucking rock. Like, no, 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 we, we need to clean our room before we go anywhere else because there's so much habitable fucking land here. There's so much richness and beauty and everything that we can do here first. Um, and the carrying capacity of the world, I think is so much greater than anything we can fucking imagine today. But anyway, I wanted to sort of put that forward and kind of maybe challenge you and maybe stretch what your uh, initial notions were like, I don't have a scientific reasoning or, you know, calculation behind the hundred billion. Um, but I think that I'm on the right path there in terms of how much wastage we currently have and what our potential capacity of energy mastery could look like. Totally. Uh, amazing points there. And let, let's start with Mars and we can move on from that. Cause that could okay. go for another two hours. Um, I, I agree that we shouldn't abandon earth right the reality is we adapted to live here and we don't even understand how hard it is to live on mars or anywhere else we have it easy here and the primary goal should be to preserve earth i support mars as a kind of like a moonshot or a mars shot i guess as a backup plan that is a worst case scenario we preserve somehow a colony there so if we do screw up earth we can come back and repopulate later or whatever but it, it's it's really bad ROI to do that versus save Earth. Totally agree. Um, the one other point in, in support of Mars is that I think humans benefit from a new frontier. I think having big goals um, do help us orient and, and make positive changes in our species. Like, for example, going to war unites a species or unites a country, I should say. And I think people find a lot of fulfillment in being united and in the tribe. And we sort of let go of our petty stuff to go achieve something grander than ourselves. And I think that's generally missing today. And so, I don't know, those are things I think about, but back to your mm -hmm. point about population. Um, yeah, is it 100 billion? Is it 20 billion? Who knows? But I think the point matters, which is that we are doing such a poor job of managing resources here that we have a long ways to go. And most people would say, they will just look at what we do today and say, well, if we want more people, we need more food and whatever. But you made a way, way more important point, which is at the rock bottom level, our monetary system uh, distorts all of the information flowing through society, meaning price, meaning markets, meaning incentives. 
And so if that's broken, we're aiming at the wrong thing because we're incapable of making sense of the world to even know where to aim. Right. Uh, and I think Jeff Booth does a good job with this, talking about how an inflationary uh, monetary system essentially pulls demand forward and it, it actually puts gasoline on the fire. Uh, or, or I should say it, it speeds us up in the wrong direction. Right. We don't know where to aim. Totally. Yeah. And fiat yeah. money just pushes gas pedal again into the brick wall and people look around and they, and they, and culture is being eroded. Um, okay. Part, part of this is culture changes over time and like, okay, some people want to push culture forward. Some people want to preserve it. That's sort of a good natural tension with humans. But I think it's fair that um, being hyper-focused on short-termism has negative consequences for our species. Right. And I think that's kind of the soup or the, the membrane we're all living in right now. And most people aren't aware of it. Totally. I think, I mean, it ties into the capacity to make value judgments, right? Like you, you think about what human action uh, and human behavior is. It's, it's, you know, our ability as a species, you know, or as individuals to gather information, um, you know, from, from the environment and from the market, and then to make value judgments. And when the signal that gives you the feedback from the environment and the market is all fucking distorted, how do you make a value judgment? You, you can't, not at the individual level, not at the entity level, not at any level. So it's like you, you end up, and, and this is, again, one of the things I don't think many people understand, particularly not the linearly minded central planners, is that, you know, if you take one person and he's got a poor value judgment, he might miss by a little bit, but you take 10 people and they've all got bad value judgments and they're all aiming in the wrong fucking direction. You, you start to get this like complete fucking derangement. And as that scales up, you get what's called madness of, madness of the crowds. And that's effectively what we have in the world today is like we have just a bunch of people running around um, doing, you know, in some capacity, their best to survive, their best to, you know, take the feedback from the market. And, you know, like these days, the feedback is like, you know, media tells you 10 different fucking piles of horse shit, you know, from one ear into the other, like politicians say a bunch of other crap. So it's not only the communication is a lie, but the economics is a lie. Like every level is a lie. So, so all of the energy, all of the stuff that we could be doing to, you know, make humanity progress to, to, you know, to deliver human flourishing, to harness energy better, to utilize resources better, to minimize waste. We're running around like fucking chickens without our heads, wasting our time, our energy and our resources. And again, even with that, even with that broken, fucked up, you know, limp dick fucking version of humanity, we're still somehow supporting arguably, you know, a few billion people quite well. Um, and, you know, at, subsist at subsistence levels, you know, another 5 billion or whatever. So it's like, we got so much more room, man. We have so much more fucking room. And, and that's where I think th this is probably what irks me about like the, you know, the waste, like, cause, cause I kind of view, you know, moonshots or mars shots at this point, just a complete waste of time. It's like, you know, what, what are we going to do? Take our broken values, our broken economics and our stupidity, you know, to a new place. Um, like, you know, what we, again, I just always come back to the clean your room that we have so many more fucking problems now to fix here than to go fuck around um, and try and, you know, use up resources that we're already squandering on trying to settle somewhere. Because like, I mean, at this point, you know, 
humanity and you know the just the the paradigm of thinking through the lens of some sort of central planning apparatus like what are we going to do build another government that's centrally planned on mars <laughs> congratulations bro that'll the only thing that's going to do is just blow up much quicker because at least here we've got some fucking oxygen in the air so that that's kind of why i'm like i kind of think let's let's come to that i agree long term we need to go for the stars but holy shit we have a lot of cleaning up like there's we, we have gone and taken a shit all over our room and now we're like i don't like this room anymore i'm gonna go to another room <laughs> it's like man you gotta clean this stuff up first before you go anywhere else and take a shit there i love it uh, i want to bring up a principle related to this called explore versus exploit Mm -hmm. Right. It ties into biology. It ties into humans. It ties into money, everything. So explore would be uh, let, let's use humans first. Explore would be like try a bunch of sports. You're a kid. You play them all and you figure out what one you like and what you're good at. And then you go double down on that sport. That'd be exploit. Right. Career. Try a bunch of careers. Find one you like, then exploit that career to your best game. OK. Biology. You said biology runs experiments. Right. That's explore. It creates a mutation. Does that mutation satisfy a niche better than other other uh, competitors if it does then that experiment is now going to go from explore to exploit right <clears throat> similar in society so if we get the information right if we uh, assign the appropriate value judgment to the world that we see that's explore then we can go exploit that to positive ends mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and i think we're doing that I think we need to use this framing. Let's use money. Okay. We, we came up with gold. Uh, we used that for a while. Then, then we came up with fiat money. And okay. If you ask the average economist, this is money. This is all, this will always be money. We stopped exploring. We're exploiting the wrong thing. Okay. What if we explore the monetary landscape a little bit further Then we find Bitcoin? Um, I think Gigi talked about how there's very little design space to improve on Bitcoin as a money. Mm -hmm. at least as we see the world today and so we essentially we needed to explore a little bit past fiat now we find bitcoin okay this appears to be the greatest tool now we need to exploit bitcoin we need to go all mm -hmm. in on this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and that that type of framing to me it's like you can use it anywhere in life and i just find it so useful and and especially with this conversation yeah i really like that actually that that probably actually it, it that's a nice uh, I guess, reasoning or, you know, framing as to why Bitcoin maximalism exists. It's like, you know, you explore, you explore, you explore, you know, you, you're looking for, you know, why is the world so fucked up? Why is energy so fucked up? Why is, um, you know, the econ like the economy, like all this sort of stuff. And then you sort of stumble onto Bitcoin. You're like, holy crap. And now, like, now's the time to double down. And, and the thing is, this is a, this is a, a change in the fabric of human society of a, of a scale that'll last millennia. Um, and, you know, it's going to require probably, you know, decades or centuries of exploitation, you know, and like digging deep to, to, you know, cement this, um, before we start fucking around with, um, you know, putting, I don't know, images on the blockchain right like so you know all that stuff is just noise right like we've got some more important things to do at the moment before we go down that path um and that, that that's a really good framing man
Yeah, I, I think you, your last point you just made there, you brought up a, a point that frustrates me um, with, with regards to the greater, greater crypto space, which is that the, the people who dismiss Bitcoin um, and, and then they choose Ethereum or Solana or whatever, those folks, 99% of the time, they only went knee deep into understanding Bitcoin. They only understand it at this superficial level and they don't think about the consequences. They don't even know why proof of work's good. They don't know why removing humans away from a monetary uh, system is good, right? And so they, they actually totally miss the value proposition of Bitcoin. They think Bitcoin moves value around on the internet, which obviously it does, but so does all these other things, right? And I don't know how to like get people to go deeper into things. Um, it's not easy to do. And let's be honest, understanding Bitcoin on a deep level requires a tremendous amount of effort and it's getting rid of your ego. It, it's cross-functional. It, it's admitting you are really, really, really wrong, like so many steps along the way. And I like analogies. Everybody knows that. So the, the mountain, uh, the alpine climber, right? He's trying to get to the peak of the mountain. And he's been climbing for 10 hours and he finally sees the peak and he hits the summit and then he looks up cheering happy and then his heart sinks because he looks up and he realizes it was a false peak he's got more to climb right and then you climb to the next top of that peak now you're learning austrian economics now you're learning this and you get to the peak and you look and you go shit i have to go down to the physics level to understand proof of work Right. And all the people who, who are into crypto but dismiss Bitcoin, they're on a false peak somewhere very far from the summit. Uh, and they're and they're arrogantly thinking that they planted the flag on top of Mount Everest when they're at base camp one. Absolutely. Dude, that's such a <laughs> it's so true. And you know what? It, it even it even happens like I mean, I'm sure you and I and you know, people sort of like Gigi and everything, we've done our ten thousand hours. We're probably like, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand hours into like trying to understand Bitcoin. But even at this point, like, dude, the peaks don't fucking stop. Like it's an it's a you know, it's a never ending rabbit hole and a never ending um climb, basically, um simultaneously. It's you know, every time I think I've really started to grasp Bitcoin, you know, I find something else and I'm like, fucking hell. Like this is so much more, it's so much deeper and more pervasive. Like I don't, I don't know where the end is and you know, if there even is an end and, and this is why I find Bitcoin so fascinating. Yeah. hundred percent agree. There's like the, I guess if I look back through my life, just to take a quick personal tangent there, are, I'm always seeking rabbit holes and getting obsessed with things. But if my friends look at me, they would say, you're excited about something. Then six months later, you throw it away and you never talk about it. Right. And this is true, right? From the outsider looking in. And I, I've reflected on this because some people find it as a negative and they're like, I can't keep up with you. And like, what, should I even give a shit about what you're talking about? Because in six months, you're going to toss it away. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but the reality is some things do stick. And then I thought about what sticks and what doesn't stick. The things that stick are never ending games and complex systems, things that I can't master, right? So if I go down, uh, okay, I was an enterprise sales rep. I sold software to large corporations. I, I did it. I so I was in sales for most of my my career. Okay, that game. There's a like you get to ninety nine percent understanding in a few years, and then you just play the game over and over and over again. But it's not expansive. It's not dynamic. It's whatever. But the things that stick are the things that are hyper complex, that are never ending learning, and more multi dimensional than the other things. So. In the personal life, that would be like exploring consciousness, 
right? That took the shape of yoga, which I did extensively for a decade, um, meditation, psychedelics, breath work, all these different kind of like flow hacking things. Um, also Bitcoin, also fungi, right? These are like the, the frontier. And so then I think about it, okay, on a human scale, I think there's like, to simplify, there's two types of people. There's the people who are in the middle and they just kind of move as like the 70% in the middle. They just sort of move where the, low, the least friction is. They don't create original thoughts. Their opinions are handed to them and they rigidly defend the opinions that are handed to them. They don't even know that, that they didn't come up with it, right? And then there's those, those weird freaks on the edge of, of the sphere of humanity. And what do they do? They're constantly pushing. They're constantly exploring. They're like going out to the abyss to grab an artifact. Most of them are garbage, but every once in a while you find something useful. Right. And that's kind of how I, I see myself, how I see you, how I see most of the Bitcoiners. We're attracted to this thing because it's slippery. It's new. It has all these implications. And we don't understand it yet. And if we do our jobs well as this like contingency of species, we're actually going to every once in a while bring the thing that 100x is our species. Right. Um, at least that helps totally. me sleep at night. <laughs> Honestly, it's funny because I can relate so much to that um, that initial thing. Like, you know, I in my twenties, I think I ran 12 different businesses, like, you know, like made money, lost money, this, that, and all sorts of shit. Like, and I had the same thing. People were like, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing now? Like, you know, they, they haven't talked to me in you know, six months or a year. It's like, I was doing something else. You know, I've got a, I got a hospitality venue now. Now I've got a sales company. Now I've got a tech company. Now I'm doing this. Now it's like, dude, what the fuck? But you know, it's, it's really funny to see how people now that I haven't spoken to in a couple of years, they're like, so what are you doing now? I'm like, Bitcoin. And they're like, you're still doing that. It's like, it's, to them, it's like a shock. It's like, really? It's, isn't, isn't it past the time that you got bored of this? Like, you know, shouldn't you be, you know, on to the next thing? And I'm like, motherfucker, I just found the thing. Like, this is the thing that I've been looking for, you know? And, and I guess that that ties back into what we just mentioned before about explore and exploit. It's like, I think archetypes like us, we are fundamentally explorers. Um, but, you know, we've probably got, the maybe i don't know maybe it's like an instinct or an intuition of when you found something you know that that's the time to exploit and i think that's the best version of explorer like i think there's people who are explorers out there who just fucking explore just to explore um and they never find anything of value they never find anything of meaning so they're just sort of like you know be like tony robbins would call them dabblers right so they just dabble in everything and they just continue dabbling and they dabble and they dabble and at the end of the day they haven't done anything and i think you have to have that instinct or that um that intuition about all right when you find something you know the the capacity to double down on that and that might take you know five years of searching 10 years of searching 15 years of searching i know it definitely took me you know i mean now what have i been in bitcoin for five years so a good, yeah, good 10 years of me like leaving home and doing everything and anything you can fucking imagine from a work perspective, career perspective, study perspective, so much shit. Um, and I landed on Bitcoin and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I'm reading a book right now called Range, uh, mm -hmm. which is all about this idea of being a generalist in society. And they, they have a chapter on this exact same thing, which is that um, what most people think is you do this linear career and you just like build on what you what you decided as a 20 year old in college, like oh, I'm a finance major, so I just do the thing. But that relies on the sunk cost fallacy, um, right? If you're deciding, well, maybe I'm actually an artist instead of a finance 
guy. Um, and nobody makes the jump because of the sunk costs of, of all the work that they did prior. But if you look throughout history, the people who create actual change in the world, the Nobel laureates or the inventors or the famous, the, the apex people in any field, they almost all took very, very unconventional paths. And what this book essentially argues is that the more diverse your understanding of the world, the more diverse your analogies, your problem solving, your skill sets, viewpoints, et cetera, that sum total, it's actually exponential. It's one plus one equals three as you diversify your viewpoints. And guys like Van Gogh, for example, he had like 20 careers. He was a failing dilettante for 20 years before realizing that he's this amazing artist. And you can say he was a dilettante or a dabbler making mistakes and then he got lucky. Or you actually dig into it and you realize that the time he was an art appraiser, the time he was a blank, the time he was a blank, those actually were necessary. And if he didn't dabble, he would have never achieved such a thing. And I, I think to bring it back to Bitcoin here, uh, why do people stop at Bitcoin, right? It appears that there's some sort of truth here, right? We were, I was searching for it and I didn't know that this was the solution. I didn't even know I needed it. And then, and then it gobsmacked me in the face. And it's very obvious now that this is the most important thing that our species can work on. It is the strongest point of leverage um, for our species. And so you get the dabblers who turn into hardcore exploiters once they find the thing, right? That is the magic. And it also is a really rich ecosystem of people here. I think, I think what most people don't that, understand yeah. from the outside is, wow, the fraternity of Bitcoiners is incredible Yeah, from really. all walks of life. And I host a meetup here in Minneapolis, shout out Bitcoiners in Minneapolis. And we have these meetups and this last one, we spent like 45 minutes. I was in a small group talking about like experimental biology because one guy in our group like simulates all this crazy. I don't know. He just is on like the frontier of biology. And we start laughing. We go, wait, we haven't even talked about Bitcoin in, in 45 <laughs> minutes. It was like, yeah, we never do. We have like this base level of value incentive and the world is rich in Bitcoin and like the implications of Bitcoin are incredibly interesting, right? And endless. Yeah, it really, it really is like Renaissance-like, you know, in that sense. It's like, you know, the, the the period in which you had your Da Vinci's and your Michelangelo's and your Raphael's and, you know, they, they were able to intermingle and that kind of melding of minds. And and it, it's funny, it's, it's almost like we're connected in this conversation because I was just thinking that and I was about to say that and then you just fucking blurted it out about like, you know, the fact that, you know, we are, you, you, you come into this and, you know, you, you've dabbled into so many things, you know, you've broadened your range, um, you've, you've found the thing to exploit. And then as you start to exploit it, you find fellow travelers on that path and you begin to exploit together. And then you realize that, holy fuck, this is a really deep and broad person. Um, and then you're like, you look to your left and you're like, another one, like, this is a very deep and broad person. And you're like, people who are almost, I guess, not just fellow explorers and fellow you know turned exploiters but fellow um you know kindred spirits of a, of a of a kind but also big brain like big vision um high-minded like and just this ability to conceptualize something um and i don't even know what what word to give that but it's it's such a unique uh it's such a unique group of people. I, I don't know. I've never been around anything like that in my life. Honestly, it's it's extraordinarily special. I used to go to meetups 
for, you know, startups and tech stuff and everything. Oh, fucking dweebs, man. Like, you know, the meetups that you go to with Bitcoiners, they're like deep. And that, like, I mean, my soul's been craving that all my life. And it's an incredible thing to find. Yeah, 100%. And thankful, thankfully, we have the internet, right? Imagine exactly. putting yeah, yeah, yeah. the archetypal Bitcoiner who is seeking for more, <laughs> who wants depth, they want reality, they want to be honest and like get to the bottom of it. Imagine putting them in a 150-person Dunbar tribe and realizing like, yeah, do you think do you think the odds that another Bitcoin, early Bitcoiner is going to be in that 150-person tribe? Hell no. You're going to feel so isolated. You're going to be the shaman. You're going to run away. You're going to have a horrible life or you're just not going to realize your actual potential. Mm-hmm. And so thankfully, we have these communication networks where you can write an article, right, which is essentially like shooting up a flare and attracting people with similar ideas. And all of a sudden you have friends and people who bat around your ideas, make you better. Um, Just thankful for that. Totally, totally. So anyway, we've digressed. So let's, um, (laughs) as as you do. um, So let's let's tie this back into the, the article. So I think, we were so so we did explore versus exploit and a bunch of examples there. So um, I think you know where, where I was in the notes here was maybe at like ecology is primarily about energy based. Like, do do you think we we handle that, or maybe we should go through a little bit about limiting factors so that people can understand part of how complex systems work there? I think it's a good one. I'll try and do it short. And I, I added a note to this on how it ties to Bitcoin. So let me do it quick. Um, ecology is generally all about energy. And so if you think about a pyramid and this, let's think like a forest is a basic example. So energy comes from the sun. That's where energy comes from. So photons hit the earth and then we have plants. Plants are just solar panels that convert solar energy into food, right? So plants are what you would consider the primary producers of an ecosystem. They produce energetically dense uh, physical matter, essentially like the physical instantiation of solar energy, their primary producers. Then you have the herbivores. They walk around and they eat the plants. So they're the primary consumers, okay? Then you have uh, going up this pyramid, so you need a wide base of plants, and then you have a little bit narrower base of herbivores. And then on top of the herbivores, you have the predators. So they go around, they eat all the herbivores. And you could say apex predators would be like a bald eagle or a human or something who has no other predators, right? So that's sort of like the pyramid of energy. Um, and you, you necessarily need a wide base in order to have apex predators. So a really small ecosystem will sustain very few apex predators, again, because it is a, a cascade there. Uh, it is a pyramid there. So to make this an analogy, like energy is the limiting factor. So let's look at a desert in a rainforest. Okay, a desert has very little water, um, which means it results in very few plants. So that base of the pyramid, primary producers, plants is really small in a desert because it can't sustain a lot of plants. Well, if it can't sustain a lot of plants, it can't sustain a lot of animals that eat plants. And if there's not a lot of animals that eat plants, there's not a lot of apex predators. So just thinking about energy as a limiting factor here. And then you might say, okay, in human life, uh, we want more energy, right? We hammered on this in the beginning. More energy equals more food, more, more carrying capacity of our species. So what are we doing now? We're trying to subsidize solar panels. And that's our, that's our grand plan to 
improve our energy relationship with our species. Well, okay, that has all these sloppy consequences. Okay, cool. So then we make carbon credits. Well, that turns into a game that we exploit and it doesn't actually achieve the outcomes. What if there was a base level incentive into the economy based on the free market that could incentivize this energy mastery? Okay, enter Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin miners now put a price on energy. Everywhere in the world, no matter where it is, that energy now has a price. And that price is what incentivizes people to go capture the energy, to go build new things, create new technology. And so instead of a central planner putting a subsidy on it, the market creates an incentive by pricing energy. And, and that is the, the incentive that I think we need um, that increases our carrying capacity, that gets rid of that limiting factor. So does it get rid of the limiting factor or does it widen the limiting factor? Like, so, so let's. Yeah, good point. It doesn't actually get rid of it. It, it increases our energy, which uh, decreases the limiting factor. The limits mm -hmm. are decline or the limits are, uh, it's kind of a messy language. It's a weird but... one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so the limit is maybe extended out farther, right? So that, you know, you're not, you're not reaching that limit straight away. Um, okay. I, I was, it's funny. As you were discussing uh, limiting factor initially, I was actually thinking of um, you know the the internal limiting factor, and and maybe I'm conflating concepts here, but like you know the difficulty adjustment. Like, would you also call that a, a limiting factor internally inherent to Bitcoin that enables you know, or, or at least that that causes the system to to function the way it does, or would you would you describe the um, the the difficulty adjustment is something other than a limiting factor i i think that if we want to be rigid in ecology terms it might be out of bounds but if we want to use lim limiting factor is a pretty generic concept which we can mm. absolutely apply to bitcoin um and i, I say let, let's do the difficulty adjustment part i, I think this okay. one's kind of fun so yeah, yeah. in the a lot of people actually message me because i compare the difficulty adjustment to an ecology example on an island in lake superior which is near my house um, and the island's unique in the sense that about i think it's like 100 years ago somewhere between 50 and 100 years ago lake superior froze and so this island three miles off of one of the great lakes created a land bridge due to ice and during that period of time, moose and wolves walked along the frozen lake and ended up on the island. Then spring came and the ice bridge eliminated. So you have this isolated island ecosystem with mostly just moose and wolves. Um, you know, there's like squirrels and birds and stuff. But the only things that matter for this example is the wolves and the moose. So it's interesting to study population ecology because you can see the dynamics right if the wolf population gets too large they eat all the moose which what does that do then the wolves starve and if the wolves starve then the moose population recovers right and if the moose population is massive well then the wolves have an incentive to grow their community because there's more food and so those two species are constantly chasing each other in, in dynamic equilibrium, right? They're trying to find the balance, but you never actually hit it. It's always dynamic. And so, oh, do you have a point there? Because yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, like, it's for me. Like, I've always, when people say, oh, you know, I'm, you know, life must be balanced. I'm like, that's a scam. Life cannot be balanced. Like, you know, everything in life is about some sort of dynamism because there is no final static balance state right like everything is always in some sort of flux um the, the question is is it is it able to be dynamic or is it fixed and static because that's the fucking problem 
like you know you, you're balanced when you're dead for example like the congratulations you finally reached carbon neutrality right but um you know the the the, the fact of life and this is one of the things that i love about you know bitcoin is that it is always finding this um dynamic equilibrium but can you dig into sort of also the corollary between older model miners for example and old ass wolves like because i love that in the um in the essay i remember reading that i was like fuck that's such a good analogy yeah absolutely so okay we have our wolves we have our moose those are the two players here the wolves are the miners Okay, the wolves are seeking profits, which are the moose or food. Okay, or energy, really, so they, right? Yeah, yeah, they're seeking energy. Um, absolutely. Uh, in the form of a moose, right? Uh, which is just concentrated form of energy. Okay, so miners and profits, moose and wolves. So the miners are going out there trying to find energy. And in, in a situation where, um, Let's say the price of Bitcoin is rising relative to hash rate. So profitability for miners is going up. Then in that situation, the wolves are fed. The wolves have tons of moose to eat, which means the miners are very profitable. In that situation, anyone can plug in a miner. Over the last year, 2021, you can plug in a miner in New York City and still be profitable, right? So the wolves are flush with profits. Now, let's, let's say Bitcoin price goes down 80% next year, or we see like a 10x in hash rate and Bitcoin price stays the same. So essentially profitability for miners goes down. In that situation, okay, now the, it, compared to the, the ecology, the moose population plummets. So there's very little food for the wolves. So if there's very little food for the wolves, then the weakest, oldest wolves are not strong enough to get fed. So they die, their population declines. Or in minor terms, the least profitable miners cannot maintain profitability. So they die or they shut off or they, or they sell their machines, right? And so that dynamic equilibrium is identical to the miners. And the difficulty adjustment is that governing mechanism every two weeks resets the game board. And that's a really important part of this, that, that maintains the equilibrium. Um, and nature sort of has the same difficulty adjustment, which is that, you know, the wolves ate all the profits or something like that. Um, yeah, well, the, the, the wolves yeah, cap ate all the energy, basically. Um, so, so safe fitting says and and i i think i agree with him except that um that I, I don't know if any single ingredient of bitcoin is more important than the other because it's like this kind of this thing that requires all the ingredients but he he thinks that the the master stroke of satoshi was the difficulty adjustment so can you talk a little bit more about what that is and how it works just just so people don't understand that piece because that is different to just about um, any other system on the planet, in a sense that um, you know, if if the price of gold goes up, we go and mine more gold, um, and we increase uh, the supply to to counteract the demand, right? But um, we it's elastic in nature, whereas whereas Bitcoin is not. So so can you talk talk a little bit about that and what those ramifications actually mean? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the difficulty adjustment, just from like a quick Bitcoin 101 standpoint, every two weeks, roughly speaking, uh, the difficulty to mine a new block readjusts at the target time of 10 minutes. And so, okay, what does that actually mean? Well, the problem Satoshi was trying to solve is 
in the future, how do we maintain a steady issuance rate of Bitcoin according to the supply schedule? Um, in a world where theoretically hash rate could go way up or hash rate could go way down, right? So Moore's law says that our machines are gonna get better at processing CHA-256 um, algorithm. And that's obviously true. And so if we exponentially scale our ability to hash, um, and in a naive system, that would also mean we exponentially release new Bitcoin tokens, which would be bad. That's against the supply schedule. So the difficulty adjustment is like a governing mechanism that it says, oh, wow, hash rate doubled this week, this, this period. Okay, fine. That means we're going to mine a lot in a two-week window. But at the end of that two-week window, we're going to readjust back to the supply schedule steady. Same thing if price or hash rate goes down, China attacks Bitcoin network, price hash rate declines by 50%. What if hash rate declined by 99%, right? If that's the case, then Bitcoin would almost never recover, but we have this difficulty adjustment. So we have a shitty two weeks and then we readjust and the system's back on track. And so it's just kind of, again, dynamic equilibrium trying to balance out the supply and demand uh, function. It's trying to balance out the, the wolves and the moose. And one more point between wolves and moose, which is that, um, taking like why proof of work and why this this uh, incentive mechanism matters so much is that you cannot cheat nature, right? That is very important yes. here. If a wolf yeah. dies, right? If a wolf doesn't find a meal, it dies and you can't revive the wolf. There's no wizards throwing potions on wolves to bring them back. If they die, they die. And this is a good thing because it's in order for the wolf population to survive long-term, it needs to have, it can only sustain the amount of wolves that there are food. So the weakest wolves have to be called in order to maintain the greater herd, right? That's the only way it works. And this, this on that, we see the same on national imbalance in central banking. Central bankers bail out zombie corporations that aren't profitable. Those zombie corporations should fail. That capital should be recycled back in the system. That's like an old wolf not finding food. It needs to die to keep the herd alive. So the zombie corporations need to fail in order to maintain the broader ecosystem of corporations. If you do not, if you keep reviving all the wolves, eventually the wolf population is too big relative to the food supply and the literal entire population of wolves all die. And so that's kind of like building up systemic risk in a system. So in 08, we, we bail out the banks. Okay, fine. Uh, short term worked out. We're all happy because there's no dead wolves. But what happens later is that we sort of strip out all, all the ability for the system to respond. You make it fragile. And then later you have an even larger catastrophe. And so that's kind of what central banking does. It just builds up risk in the system. And then we have the big crash and that wipes out everything or nearly mm. everything. It, it's it's like the um the analogy of the the small forest fires right the brush fires they you know they 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 come they're, they're a regular sort of thing and they you know they burn things out and then they, they even actually form the basis for other species and you know like sub pioneer species in some sense to come and like you know recolonize and do, do their thing um and when we stop that process naively thinking oh yeah we're stopping the small fires what we do is we create all of this, you know, dry, you know, dead, easily combustible, you know, stuff everywhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the once in a decade or once in a couple decade uh, fire comes through, burns everything. It actually burns the topsoil as well. 
So then you can't fucking grow food there and then nothing grows and then you get a desert. So it's like, okay, we destroyed everything. So, so this is, that's, that's another, I, I always use that and the cobra effect interchangeably. And, and the, the, the moose, the wolves and the wizard is exactly the same version. And, and, and this is where it's like, you know, where, where Bitcoin really shines. It's, and this is why I view Bitcoin as like an organic natural system is that Bitcoin mimics nature. Um, it's like, so, so even though it's engineered, um, what it does is like, it's not some method of engineering to beat nature. It's a method of engineering to realign human behavior and human society with nature. And, and it recognizes you can't cheat. And if we do that, we actually move into a world of human flourishing, not into a world where we can continue to think we can outsmart nature. And that's what like everything from like central banking of what you mentioned, you know, governments, um, you know, these sort of empirical model driven versions of humanity, even crypto. Like what, what, what do you look at all these crypto people? They're all trying to outsmart Bitcoin. They're trying to outsmart nature, you know, proof of stake, fucking, you know, the ability, like, you know, governance on chain and whatever other horseshit that they come up with is basically incarnations or attempts at trying to beat the laws of physics and beat the laws of nature. And that, that just doesn't work. It, it literally doesn't work because there's always a cost to you know, making those decisions. And the funny thing is because the cost is not borne by them, they don't give a shit. They just keep doing it um, and pretend like nothing happened. Um, so I think that's just such an important point. It's like Bitcoin is a technological revolution, but not to defeat nature. It's to come into symbiosis with nature. And for me, that's One like super important. 1000%. The amount of foresight Satoshi had to build a system that is adaptable. That's the key. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. not a rigid thing where we just make changes as we like learn things, right? That's like a central planner with their levers. No, this thing has feedback loops built in. It has mechanisms to adapt due to the fact that the world around it is constantly changing, changing and you yeah. can't know the future. So you have to build feedback loops. So the system literally evolves over time. And there's a Darwin quote, uh, which is it's I'm reading it here. It is not the strongest of the organisms that survive, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that's most adaptable to change. Right. So a central banker would say, we're going to just engineer a strong, smart money. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, fine. That works for today's, the world as we know it today, but in 10 years, the world's necessarily going to change. And so your system will be maladapted to the future. So instead of that, we need a money that is not only smart and intelligent, we need a money that is most adaptable to change. So that is the economic evolution by natural selection. Um, and I think that's honestly the most fascinating part of the whole thing is it, it, it evolves, it learns, there, there's an innate intelligence to this thing. Um, and here we are just bumping into it, right? We're cells on the edge of the Bitcoin uh, super species or super organism or however we want to label this thing. I love that, the, a super species. I mean, I, I've got this theory that, um, and did, did you get a chance to read Fire Bitcoin Teleportation in Bitcoin Times yet or not? Okay, when you, when you do get a chance in there, I'll go on this rant about um, how central planners want to, by decree, uh, force evolution upon humans by basically um, 
experimenting in a linear fashion. It's like, okay, let's put our fucking brains in a vat or let's, you know, metaverse ourselves or let's inject ourselves with whatever the fuck to, you know, like it's just this weird kind of attempt at, you know, Frankensteining humanity. Whereas for me, what I, what I view Bitcoin does is it, it'll evolve humans into like, I go, I, I make a note of saying, you know, we're going to go from homo sapiens into homo Bitcoinicus and the, the transformation will happen because Bitcoin, not through coercion, but through incentive forces the individual to adapt their behavior more in line with nature um, and more in line with a longer term, longer time preference. And nature blended with a lower time preference to me is basically the definition of morality. That This is sort of emergent morality is alignment with nature and um, time preference or, or low time preference. And because Bitcoin generation by generation will start to um, incentivize that kind of behavior, I actually think that it will bake morality into our DNA in a sense. Like it'll, it'll, it'll form us over time to behave more moral. And, and I tie this back into this idea of like, why are lions, for example, not a species that goes and fucking completely eats everything around them in their realm um, and then dies of starvation? It's because a lion has learned and evolved over millions of years to maintain boundaries, to maintain territories, and to, to find an equilibrium in its um in its environment. So, so a, a lion almost has like a majestic royal uh, element to its, um, to its being. Now, human beings, uh, sorry, so I should say also that lions have been around and been top of their part of the food chain for a lot longer than human beings have. We've kind of gone from the, you know, somewhere near the bottom half of the food chain to the fucking top in a very, 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 very short period of time. Like, you know, arguably, 10,000 years initially, and now here we are probably 70,000 years into that, um, to that jump to the top of the food chain. So we actually haven't evolved to behave majestically. Like we are out of alignment with morality. Um, and because we've been, you know, sort of consciousness has been emerging through us, we've been trying to find a, um, a, a way to to behave more morally. And, and for me, Bitcoin is the thing that gives us the incentive to act and behave in accordance with um, nature and much lower time preferences, thereby baking morality into us, thereby creating royal majestic incarnations of humans who may evolve from being homo sapiens into fucking homo bitcoinicus. So that's kind of my theory there. It's, it's a working theory. I'm kind of partway through writing a piece about it, but curious to know your thoughts on that. Like, am I fucking yeah, lost yeah. my mind or what's your thoughts? No, I mean, like to pull a line from John Vallis, the fact that individuals go through that exact transformation is proof that the thing's working, right? So we know with 100% certainty that individuals who interact with Bitcoin in earnest they do make those changes in their life. I'm very, very, very uh, clear. It's very clear to me that that's true in my life. It, for example, in 2016, I was a uh, traveling digital nomad type, just live wherever, live for the moment, uh, thinking short term, forget saving money, uh, making phone calls for Bernie Sanders campaign, no joke. Um, not interested in kids, family settling down, none of that stuff. 
Um, now, fast forward, <laughs> completely shifted by politics, all in on Bitcoin, uh, focused on family, focused long term, and the amount and taking on a lot more responsibility, right? A little bit of Jordan Peterson mixed in. So it's very clear to me uh, that it's working. Now, will it happen on a species wide level? That, that's the real question that I think you're getting to here. And I don't know the answer for sure, but what I do know is that Bitcoin has a chance of doing that. And the reason why I think it has a chance is because it's really hard to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. It's this, it's this immovable rock that forces our economic reality. Um, you don't have a choice, right? It's going to eat purchasing power. Do you wanna get your purchasing power eaten or do you wanna benefit from that? Okay, that alone draws people in. And then if you interact with it in earnest, it, it does teach you things. It, it, it restrains humans, it disciplines humans, it teaches you to think long term because the price goes up, right? It teaches you more to take self responsibility because if you want to really engage with this thing, you're going to run your own node, you're going to maintain self sovereignty. And if you have a little taste of self sovereignty, it feels kind of good. And what does that do? It increases your agency generally in the world. And once you have a taste, uh, I don't think people go back. Like, I don't want to go back to sleep. I want to maintain my sovereignty, my agency. I want more of it. And you see yeah. that in Bitcoin. Once you see what it is, what it, what it really is, people don't leave. They might be less active on Twitter, but they're not letting this thing go because it really matters. Totally. And th th this is where I think... Um coming back to adaptability is that over time in order to succeed like so so if if evolution's uh forcing function is um you know is kind of like efficacy efficiency and you know and competition is the the mechanism through which we become more effective and more more efficient um on a bitcoin standard you actually the the person with the most with the lowest time preference the person who innovates the most, you know, and produces the most, which is again, in alignment with nature is the one that adapts and evolves and prospers the most, right? So he becomes by definition, the fittest. Um, and, and this is where I think, you know, at least for my head, it's kind of like linking into the, this idea of, um, you know, if evolution is this adaptive process, then the most adaptive human beings on a Bitcoin standard will become the most moral. Um, and, therefore we become more majestic in nature and does that over multiple generations over time almost bake in morality like kind of i mean we, we all know that um stealing for example like even for a fucking kid you don't have to tell the kid that stealing is bad but you know like so so we we have this kind of that there's a there's a anthropologist called Robert Audrey, who's one of my favorites. Um, and no one fucking knows him because he's from the sixties, but he's like, he's a real anthropologist, not these fucking weirdos that, you know, write modern anthropology, but he talks about the territorial imperative as the most, as the, as the primary uh, biological driving force of, um, you know, mammals and more intelligent species. And, you know, the territorial imperative in humans um, manifests as this, um, this kind of, relationship with private property like someone comes and takes your shit not only does it piss you off like it feels bad um but the person who does it also like you know there's something inside them that they know it's wrong um now they might 
convince themselves otherwise, you know, they might be starving or whatever the reason is, but somewhere innate, like there's, there's a biological uh, imperative towards, um, towards private property. Now, if you have multiple generations, for example, of a welfare state, multiple generations of people who have no consequence for poor behavior and bad behavior, I actually think we evolve, and maybe the better word is devolve, into a species in which, for example, the lack of private property rights and stealing and you know all that sort of stuff almost becomes part of our culture and then our culture becomes you know bakes into our dna and people don't think it's bad to just like walk up and i don't know take a shit on somebody's fucking lounge room you know or just you know take their shit or fuck their girlfriend or whatever like you know or, or tell them what to do with their time and, and i think this for me it's like it's a real it's a real fork in the road for our species is we either align with um humanity sorry align with nature um and you know another mind-blowing piece of this is like bitcoin is the most incredible version or incarnation of private property that exists like literally um you know it it, it kind of re rekindles this stuff and 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 gives us an opportunity to bake it in because now it's aligned with um the incentive mechanism so i don't know I, I honestly i have high hopes for what bitcoin will do at a species level not like for, for me this is no longer about fucking sound money like whoop-de-doo-da congratulations bro you fucking you're at the first peak or the second peak like I, i'm fucking at peak eight like fucking swimming in shit at the moment trying to come to terms with like what does this actually do to our species at scale like it's a it's mind-blowing I totally agree. And I think underlining private property and, and circling back to what we're experiencing today as a species, which is like an encroaching state, a state that the state as an idea is trying to upgrade itself to be like a high tech uh, version of control, high tech communism or something like that. And young people, they do not have an economic position in life. They have no stake in the current reality. So they're ready to burn it all down and they're just willing to take anything. And the people with, the, with power who, who would benefit from a techno-communist state, they're willing to feed this juicy narrative that sounds good to the, the people who have no stake. And so, it, yeah, they, it's really easy to, to, mur to herd sheep who are hungry towards uh, their slaughter, right? However, as a species level, we need incentives. And the idea that we can just become this like techno-communist state, that, that is like a fundamentally anti-human position. That, that's, that's denying the fact that we're competitive evolutionary products of evolutionary biology. And that, that causes us to implode from the inside. Um, you can look at all the versions of communism. Um, what happens is you wreck the incentives and ultimately you, you, you disincentivize the productive people and then you can't, then uh, society collapses, you run out of energy, right? It's the same constraint. You literally rug pulled society um, and there's no way around it. So I think we need to be honest with ourselves and say humans are better with incentives that lead us to go be selfish. Right. Greed is good to, to take a Gordon Gecko quote. Um, there's deep truth to that. Um, the individual is all there is and the individual acting in their own best interest is the best way for humanity to uh, surface good ideas and then exploit those good ideas for everyone's gain. And so it's very frustrating seeing this techno state thing because it doesn't work long term. 
It, it might work it's, short it's, term. It's it might. China's China's showing that it works short term, but innovation doesn't come from that. It's the embodiment of fragility, basically. It's it's literally like what you do is you to to make the and this is again it comes back to the idea of like um mistaking the map for the territory you know just because you've drawn a couple clean fucking lines doesn't mean there's not a you know a cliff there or you know a fucking some sort of dangerous thing in the way like and and you know distilling society and humanity and an economy the human body whatever like all these complex systems into some fucking simple equation that you can plug into a computer and just have it run is like it's so fucking dumb it's so fucking dumb i i it blows my mind and all it's going to do is it's going to break everything um and then you and i are going to have to fucking fix it for everyone um it's just it's pure uh, hubris it, it really is man. mistaking the complex system for something that we can reduce to our big brain algorithms come on we, we don't even have the capacity to understand the complexity let alone model it let alone model it and then modify behavior and then somehow have good outcomes asinine um, absolutely absolutely um, okay should we go to I was just going to say, like, it feels like we should recap mining incentives and totally. look to what those incentives do long term. Let's do that. Let's do that. And then um, and then we okay. can kind of go into the um, I think the the climax versions of society, because then we can go into the hope piece. So, yeah, yes, let's, yes. Let's <laughs> we went through the, the depths of dystopian <laughs> fears and now let's let's bring it into the light. <laughs> OK, so looking forward. A uh, quick recap of mining incentives, just so we can like keep it fresh and move forward. So with Bitcoin mining, it does two things. It makes existing energy assets more efficient, like stabilizing the grid or monetizing energy we produce that doesn't have a consumer. And it also makes new energy assets more economical. So those are two separate things. Most people who are in Bitcoin accept the fact that it makes existing energy assets more efficient. Um, but the net new one, that's kind of like the pioneer species. Um, and then if we zoom out, what does that mean? On a species level, harnessing energy anywhere in the world or anywhere within the hash horizon, which is like halfway to Mars, anywhere in that sphere, if you can source energy, you can sell it. So now there's an incentive to go find energy. Um, yep, energy assets are more economical. So great, Bitcoin miners increases profitability of existing energy assets. Um, which would mean that the cost of energy goes down because you have this new customer buying up the supply. Um, the, the third thing is, um, yeah, for net new energy assets, the cost of capital goes down. And so I think that's the one I want to focus on mostly is net new energy assets. But I mean, both are, I would say, important. Um, okay, well, let's so, dig into that. So, so just a couple examples. So the, the first one that you're talking about that everyone talks about is kind of like stranded gas, for example, right? So it's like a, a place they're burning off the fucking gas anyway. So someone goes there and just actually uses that up and transforms it into Bitcoin. So we actually have a net economic benefit instead of just burning the shit, right? Um, so then examples of the others, let's, let's dig into those. 
Yeah, so example of the other, I think my favorite one is the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is, uh, there's a national park in the DRC, they have this hydro and they don't have really any money. And most of the developing world, just to set the stage, the developing world pays like 3x the energy costs as the developed world. And so imagine trying to build manufacturing goods or have any sort of advanced economy when your energy is 3x. That would wreck America, let alone these developing countries who are trying to get off the ground. And so in those situations, it's really expensive to harness new energy assets due to the high capex cost. And it's kind of a chicken and egg. They need the energy, but they can't get the money unless they have the energy, right? And so what they did there was they harnessed some hydro and that hydro um, now produces money and cheaper energy for the whole region. And so what's happening today is there's a bunch of crime, a bunch of gang lords, the local population is very poor. So they literally cut down the national, uh, the trees in the national forest to heat their homes because they don't have electricity. And by doing that, they're killing all the kids because cooking inside causes respiratory issues. And so there's all these things tangled up in that. And the fundamental thing that needs to change is they need more energy. Okay, so now there's this public-private partnership. Um, a French company invested a bunch of money. The local public company, NGOs, kind of like help out. And the net result is uh, decreasing energy costs, abundant energy for all the people, um, saving the environment, economic development. It has all these amazing uh, positive things there. And I think that little example can be broadly applied all over the world, right? El Salvador is going to do the volcanoes. Kenya has all this geothermal. And the, the incentive or the change here is that the capex cost now goes down. And so instead of the instead of Kenya relying on the IMF to do some uh, extractive financing, right, like confessions of an economic hitman thing where they give them crappy loans, which results in um, the IMF essentially uh, giving them loans that they know they can't pay back. And then yeah, so the tail end of that is they yeah. steal all their hard assets. Right. And so instead of doing that, they can just rely on globally sourced capital to mine Bitcoin. So it's a profit incentive instead of relying on the evil bank. Um, and so generally speaking, that's amazing for developing countries. So if you're a progressive and you're anti Bitcoin mining, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. You're in, you're in total Literally. opposites of the world. Um, and so that's that. And I guess if we zoom out for like 100 years or 1000 years, if we have these incentives that result in less energy, uh, more distributed energy, um, more energy total, lower costs, more distributed and more net total energy, where does that get us as a species, right, with these incentives? Um, and I guess the three predictions that we can go one by one is energy mining incentive leads to energy abundance, which is like energy is practically free for all the day-to-day -day stuff we need um, prediction two is that the early adopter countries are going to leapfrog the laggard so all the developing countries who mine bitcoin early they're going to explode in development just like um just like going from skipping landlines and going to cell phones right you can just like skip a whole tier and the countries that are slow to adopt this are going to be way behind not only in wealth but also in energy development and then the third one is the great spreading out so now if we have energy all over the world human call humans don't have to like congregate next to the energy supply they can go wherever the energy is um yeah should we jump into well, abundance yeah let's, yeah let's dig into each of them man because um i think yeah the let, let's totally start with abundance um okay cool. because that's that's where it starts 
Yeah, and, and I think the analogy here, the, the important one is that like, if you think about streaming, right? So similar to how the demand for online streaming, more demand led to an increased investment in the broadband infrastructure to begin with. So if we increase the demand uh, for energy, it's also gonna increase the, the investment in new energy infrastructure. So Bitcoin miners want energy, leads to more energy investment. And if you just play that flywheel out for however many years, um, it's gonna lead to better technology of harnessing energy. And we're gonna have so much of it and we're gonna get so efficient at it that ultimately net new energy uh, or, or just energy in general will be so cheap, we can do new things also, right? So as your energy constraints decline, now energy is cheap and abundant and spread out, which is key. Um, we can do all these new things. And if we're worried about the future implications of a changing climate, uh, let's not get into that debate, but let's just assume it's harder and harder to live on our planet as we become uh, more densely populated, which I think was true. Um, okay, water. People are worried about fresh water. Sure, that could be a huge problem if we screw this thing up. Well, if we get rid of energy constraints, we can take salt water and turn it into fresh water and everybody has fresh water forever, right? That's a way better solution than chopping the population in half or like maintaining a billion people or something like that. Um, we can increase our food supply because fertilizer and land use is, is much cheaper. We can, we can create all these exotic things. Like I didn't even know this existed, but a molecular weight refinery. So it's like you take a let's say you take a an old computer you put an old computer in this machine that machine can deconstruct the computer into its elements or into its like like literally the elements out of the machine and then repurpose them right? that's really? all physically possible uh it requires a lot shit, of energy does that shit exist today or uh, i think or is point, that just theoretically theoretical. possible okay okay yeah okay. same with h2o desalination yeah, okay, plants yeah. it's like we can do it but the cost to go in is too high relative to the cost to go out. And I think there's some engineering to be worked out on molecular mm -hmm, weight refinery. Mm -hmm. But the point is <laughs> energy abundance gives us these abilities to, to do exotic things that solve problems that we have today that we're trying yeah. to solve in some shitty way, like get rid of most of the people. That's not yeah. a solution. The solution totally. is engineer this thing. Yeah. And, and again, back to ecology, the limiting factor is energy. How do we get more energy? Bitcoin incentivizes it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, th this, so energy abundance in my mind is kind of like the first step towards energy mastery, right? Like, you know, you need to, um, at least in my mind, like energy mastery is the point at which we have so much fucking energy that um, it, it's practically like air and free and abundant because I mean, the amount of energy that falls on the planet and we've heard this you know so many times like from the sun is what is it on an hourly basis is it enough to power the planet um for, for a year so so that there is enough energy out there it's not a problem of um uh, energy availability it's a problem of the harnessing of the energy and the and the and the exploitation or the extraction um of the energy and i think that's um that requires us to accurately price energy and to have an incentive to continue to uh, economically um, harness, extract, and utilize the energy. And, and that's where 
whenever I hear people like, you know, talking bad about proof of work, it's like, man, you, you, you're, you're missing the golden fucking goose is staring you right in the face. And that ties back to why I love this, um, love this article so much. So, okay. Um, is there anything you want to add to that or should we kind of move into what that means for, I guess, the second prediction, which is the, the early adopter countries? Yeah, I say we move on. I think we kind of hammered that one. Um, And we kind of touched on this one too, which is that, you know, like the early internet, right? The first first companies on the internet or the first countries on the internet, they benefited more than the rest of people. And so the first countries that start mining Bitcoin, they're also going to benefit disproportionately for two reasons. One, more more Bitcoin mining leads to more energy production. So they have more energy and that makes everything they do in the whole country cheaper and it allows new manufacturing. So they're also going to generate more wealth due to that increased energy abundance. Simultaneously, they're going to generate wealth due to holding Bitcoin, right? So there's two things. They own the Bitcoin and they get more energy and more energy incentivizes more wealth. So that actually creates a flywheel that accelerates them uh, against competitors. And yeah, like, okay, Bukele's the, the leading off here with a, with a double, right? He's got the volcano bond and Bitcoin city and he's going all in and, you know, all their LATAM countries are looking. And, and I think the U.S. is going to consider this as well. Like, um, I don't know if you want to go down like mining as a national defense route. It's kind of off topic, but I think the end state is countries are going to mine Bitcoin because they're incentivized to do so. Um, that's, yeah, I, I mean- think, the reality of the situation. Do you think that's an end state or do you think that's an intermediary state? Because I actually think you can't run a country economically um, at, at a particular scale. So maybe maybe just the definition of country becomes more like a city state. But what's your thoughts on that? Then that's a completely different fucking tangent anyway. <laughs> and I, okay, it is a different tangent, but coincidentally or, or not, it leads into prediction three, which is the great spreading out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Okay, and, well, and so hit me. let's do it. Yeah, okay, so... I think your point is valid, which is that like, are the, let's say we have 200, 300 nations. Is that actually the end state? Is these like mega industrial nation states? I don't think so. I would agree with you. I think the sovereign individual thesis, which has been playing out is okay. We're in an information age now, and that changes the logic of violence that changes the incentive. So rather than being a mega state with a big army, uh, it's actually better to be a small state that's defensible, right? Capital is now ideas, not physical things, right? Money is is atomized, not physical. Um, it's asymmetric defense through cryptography. There's all these incentives that lead to uh, smaller nations actually being more efficient. And then it's going to be a competition for these small nations to attract productive people because you actually want a high density of productive people. You don't want a long tail of lemmings, Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that's very hard to feed. And you hear Bill Gates talk about this with a little smirk on his face. Uh, <laughs> but let's get into prediction three, uh, the great spreading out. Okay. Historically, humans have built civilizations along rivers. Why? Rivers provide transportation. They provide energy. They provide food. They provide fresh water. And they also provide defense, right? Makes sense. A strategic position. Uh, then we had the industrial revolution. Um, So these old cities next to rivers, we even more urbanized, Uh, we got better at farming food. So people stopped farming like 100 years ago, it was like 
50% of the people, their job was making food. Now it's like 2% or less or something like that. And so essentially we industrialized in the mega cities, cramming people together next to the factories and we outsource food to increase technology. Again, we're urbanizing, urbanizing, urbanizing. And then what Bitcoin does is it allows us to um, theoretically spread out because we now can colonize energy assets anywhere in the world. This takes two forms. One is natural energy assets. So you have a volcano, you have some remote hydro, you have some latent or a desert with a lot of sun, whatever the energy source is. We can go to that natural energy source colonize it through the pioneer species thesis attract people and now you have a self-sustaining community with energy and and wealth remotely um or we can have like gen 4 nuclear reactors which are tiny little nuclear reactors that are small enough and economical enough to sustain like two or three hundred thousand people right so we could go buy rural land in the middle of nowhere that nobody wants in a failing country for pennies mm -hmm. on the dollar drop a nuclear plant there in a strategic place. And now 300,000 people have energy remotely. Okay, so what does that do to the world if we can just drop an energy asset and live anywhere? Well, we work remotely, right? Our money's remote, our defense is autonomous, drone defenses or whatever, our communication's encrypted. Uh, we, we have cows on the land, right? No citadel is complete without cows. And so now you have these like, and then at the same time, the, the World Economic Forum's pitching like super urbanization and everyone go to these uh, these dystopian hell metropolises. Um, that's one choice. You can go there, eat the bugs, get the soy powder and free Internet and be a ward of the state. Uh, wherever you go, everything's spied on. Or you can go to these uh, remote citadels. And the remote citadels are going to have, again, ideologically motivated people. They're going to be highly productive generally. They're going to be increasingly self-sufficient. They're going to have abundant wealth and energy. Then what happens? You're going to see experimental government, governance zones, special economic zones. Essentially, these little city-state or citadels are going to slowly fracture an experiment, let a thousand flowers bloom, right? And each one of these little things are going to be uh, government 2.0 experiments, right? It's an alternative path. It's it's an explorer, right? You have the world mm -hmm, economic mm -hmm. exploring, we're exploring over here. I think Bitcoin miners are going to win. We're going to exploit that new city-state model based on voluntary cooperation and self-sustainability and sovereignty in like the real sense, not sustainability in a sense that we want to manage your corporation with ESG guidelines, like actually sustainable. And so like to sum it all up, um, you know, Western man, which way do you want to go there or do you want to go to the city state? And I'd rather mine Bitcoin and be happy than own nothing and be happy. Totally, dude. Um, I think th that right there is like, for me, it's the hundred billion person thesis is like, particularly the, the piece around like, yes, we've got these um existing uh energy zones whether geothermal like you said volcanic lots of sunlight lots of hydro whatever but the the nuclear piece is fucking incredible and, and when you think about what that's gonna look like even further down the track like i mean the potential for having you know even a, a you know a mini nuclear reactor in a box, you know, like that kind of sits in every neighborhood, for example, or, you know, we don't know the possibility there, but what we need for that to happen is you need the competitive force. You need as much diverse experimentation as possible. You need as much, uh, 
like as much of these operations running in parallel instead of one big globalist clusterfuck of an operation running um that's carrying as you said the long tail of the lemmings along with it like that is such a ugly shitty version of society which can probably only you know what it can probably only sustain a billion people maybe um whereas this other version can probably sustain that hundred billion people um and that i i love the the great spreading out is such a beautiful um such a beautiful name for it um and i mean that that's exactly the version of the world we want to live in man fuck Absolutely. Two points here. One on the lemmings. So, so we don't sound like the lemmings are totally useless. I think that the reality is the lemmings are caught in a trap, which is that they only go where the least path of resistance is. And in today, that means they just, you know, whatever, they just blow in the wind. But the reality is life is hard right now for people who don't produce at a high level. The world is expensive wealth is extracted to the few and the game is more or less rigged against the lemmings they get rigged against all the normal people right and so in a bitcoin world in a deflationary world where technology is pushing down the price of everything we don't need a world where everybody is working these irrelevant jobs and both every family needs 2.5 jobs to pay the bills right like that's not a good vision of the future either we can have a more creative future we should have technological abundance life should not be getting more expensive as we get more efficient at building things okay. and so there is a future for these lemmings where maybe they're doing more art or they're doing more service or they're or i don't know what the future is but they don't have to be doing these jobs that don't need to exist assuming a world where you need less money to survive well, correct. But the, the thing is that the, the lemmingization, if that's even a word of, um, of the lemmings, you know, is, is occurring um, because th there is like a, you know, a nanny state um, in existence, you know, which, which sort of gives the, the false sense of um, security. And, and I kind of said this when I did the whole remnant articles, I said, you know, the Bitcoin is the remnant, the, the masses don't matter. And, and my whole point was, you know, when we do this, um, we actually don't need the permission of the lemmings. We don't need their adoption. We don't need any of their shit. Like the, the, the lemmings will walk into the gulags with a smile on their face and they'll walk into the citadels with a smile on their face. They'll have no fucking clue who did either one, um, but they'll do either one. So, so to your point is that, you know, they're, they're not, um, but they'll do either one. Um, you know, the prime movers of society is the producers, it is the Bitcoiners, it is, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the remnant, you know, the those who remain after the catastrophe. And it's like, it's up to us to bring this to bear. Um, and in that kind of an environment where the lemming can no longer um, have, you know, a overlord to point them in the direction of the fucking lava um, or to use them as a weapon to... Um, you know, like I always say, the parasite weaponizes the masses against the remnant, right? So like you have these productive people and because the lemmings are useless, you know, in a general sense, like the, the few parasites that are out there, what they do is they use the numbers that the lemmings have to um, extract wealth um, and then say it's for the good of all of us, right? Um, whereas, you know, on a, on a Bitcoin type standard, you know, where 
economic consequence exists for poor behavior, not only do you kind of, you, you clean up the environment so that number one, the parasite finds it difficult to exist. Um, you know, it's like cleaning up, like if you have a dark, dank, disgusting fucking place, um, mold will grow, you know, so you clean it up, mold doesn't grow there anymore. So you fix the environment. That's what Bitcoin is. It fixes the environment. Um, but then the, the, the cushion that exists that devolves humans into lemmings um, disappears. And then the lemming is faced with two options. Um, starve or eat and fucking starvation is a hell of a fucking motivator man I'm telling you <laughs> like people all of a sudden figure out how to do shit um, and you know in the absence of that um, that false sense of security you know the 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 cage that they've been given um, for their safety um, you know the the idea is that they must adapt you know they, they must come back in line with nature and learn to be adaptable and they must get fit um, in order to, to subsist. And that makes the world a better fucking place. We have more functional, more productive, better people um, instead of like, you know, instead of having to tow retards around, which just sucks. It's a drag on everything. 100%, 100%. Yeah, so, so much there. And yeah, I, I've been having this realization lately, which is that, the masses, the lemming, et cetera, they're handed their opinion, right? So their opinion literally doesn't matter because it's not theirs. Correct. Right. Yeah. They're just repeating the narrative. And then, okay, I watched the newest matrix, which it sucked, but there was some thought provoking ideas in it. I thought was really good. One of the thought provoking ideas is um, every, every individual in, in the mass who, who is essentially a program waiting to become an agent. Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um and the parasites weaponize the programs your neighbor by saying tell on your neighbor totally right and so now all of a sudden the masses aren't harmless lemmings they're actually waiting to be agents you actually have to distance yourself you have to, yeah yeah you have to be more skeptical of them and that's actually kind of a weird situation right you don't we all have friends in the lemming group and whatever do you do you bro i don't care do whatever you want to do um but that all of a sudden becomes dangerous. And so the Citadel idea actually becomes more important and it becomes more practical. At the individual level, it's practical because you wanna find like-minded people who are going to have the same values as you to make your life better, but also to defend yourself. You don't wanna be collateral damage in an encroaching state or a failing state, a great reset, whatever you wanna call it. Um, but it's also practical from the species level. And what I mean here is that these citadels have a really important duty. We're fracturing. We have the, the techno-communist version of the world. And if they have their way, that's the only version of the world. And odds are picking one thing. This one sounds really bad, but even if it sounded great, having one potential path for our species is a horrible idea. Totally. Right? We need to let a whole bunch of versions of society bloom and competition wins, just like the US or founding fathers, they made states to compete. We can run many experiments exploring, so then we can all exploit the winners. That seems to be the theme here. Um, and so where I wanna go with the Citadel theory or the Citadel idea is that they have to preserve the spark of freedom and innovation and experimentation for our entire species. Otherwise, we might we may just totally be subsumed in one version, which will eat itself long term. And, and it'll 
collapse in on itself. Sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah, the gravity it, it totally dies. And one more point here is from Matt Ridley, which he wrote a book about innovation. And I don't even remember the title of the book, but one of my favorite authors. And in the book, he essentially studied nations and he figured out what made the, 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 some nations prosperous, what made some nations not prosperous, right? And he found that uh, prosperity came from innovation and innovation came from freedom. So freedom, uh, an environment with lots of freedom lets people do as they do and humans want to innovate. So a free environment leads to innovation and all prosperity comes from innovation. There's no prosperity unless we innovate. And I want to take this one step further, which is that Bitcoin's freedom money, right? It's a tool for sovereignty. It empowers the individual. So it actually empowers freedom. It creates a, a, a membrane of freedom for people to engage in if they so choose. And so Bitcoin produces freedom. Freedom produces innovation. Innovation produces prosperity. So these citadels are upstream of prosperity and Bitcoin is the thing that's needed. It actually increases that flywheel. Bitcoin, freedom, innovation, prosperity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dude, I think that's um, that's a beautiful note to, um, to close it on, honestly, because it's um, that's that's the message of hope. Like we, we need to start from a point in which hope can actually manifest downstream and if if we don't sort of fix the upstream problem like you know this idea of slapping band-aids um on every symptom that we see um and trying to isolate every problem and fucking attack it as if it's you know not interrelated or interconnected to everything else is fucking mindless and it's literally you know in many ways the world has gotten fundamentally worse across almost every dimension in the last 20 years um, except we've got the veil of technological progress that has sort of covered up a lot of it. Um, but in reality, like people are more depressed, they're more dependent on fucking drugs and antidepressants, and we've fucked up the environment even more. Like all, all these fucking things are just getting worse. There's more centralization, there's more government, there's more central banks, you know, there's more technocratic fucking oligopolies. Like all of the dimensions have gotten worse. Um, you know, than what it was like in uh, 2020, education, like, you know, what we do to our kids, like no one goes outside and fucking, you know, plays anymore. Like it's, it's depressing. So we, we need to, we need to take the, um, we need to get the hell off the train that we're on that's going straight off the edge of the cliff and we need to build a new set of train tracks. And I think that Bitcoin enables that. And I think what you've written here in this piece here is something that everybody everywhere should fucking read so if anyone's you know or who, not, not if anyone's listening to this because i hope to god someone's fucking listening to this <laughs> i assume <laughs> instead of like old man yelling at clouds um for those listening to this seriously number one read this um and then number two anyone you actually give a shit about please pass this article on to them because it's like one of the most important bitcoin articles not just written this year, but or last year, really, um, but since since the beginning of time. So, yeah, I want to thank you for writing that, man. I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, man. Humbled. Thank you so much, Alex. That uh, means a lot yeah. to me. Um, and if I could leave any parting words, it would be Please understand do. energy. Like the article, yes, I'll show my shit, but like understand energy it's so much more important and the narrative around it is completely backwards and there's going to be human lives lost 
because of it, not to mention a massive opportunity cost that we're going to uh, spend by not improving our energy infrastructure. And so figure it out. It's also fascinating. It's also complicated. It's it's a rabbit hole like Bitcoin and it, it really matters. And so if you're not optimistic, here's a path and let's fix our energy. Let, let's highlight the good uses of Bitcoin mining. And yeah, let's go plant some Citadel seeds and see what grows. Totally. Do you have a couple of resources? I've got a couple in my mind that um that I would suggest, but for people to learn more about energy. Yeah. So let's see. Off the top of my head, they're not coming to me, but I linked to a ton in the essay. Um, let me just find one really quick. The first one that I really, really, really love is uh, Bitcoin mining and the case for more energy. It's a medium article. Uh, it just lays out like you know, first principles, why energy matters, why more is better and why Bitcoin mining helps, right? A similar thesis. Um, it's very, very good. Um, yeah, th their quote was, there's no optimistic version of the future in which humanity does not use significantly more energy than today, right? Okay. I, I love that that framing. Um, I don't know. I linked to a ton in the essay that I learned from. Okay. What, what do you have? I'll I'll mention three. So one of my favorite books, and I think you'll really love this one, is by Vaclav Smil. It's um, called Energy and Civilization, and um, and that's a that's a really important book um, for people to understand, like how civilization is just a function of uh, the utilization of energy. Um, literally, that's what it is. Um, so so that one as a first one. Um, then Alex Epstein's um, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. I think that one is um, most people just don't appreciate how important um, fossil fuels are because that is just literally the most dense form of energy we can use to help human flourishing. Um, and then there's a guy called Bjorn Lomborg who I haven't read his book yet, but um, he's, he's written a book called... Um, you know, 101 uh, kind of like bullshit climate catastrophes. So he kind of debunks the whole. Um, so, so I think he was a, I think he's actually a UN researcher or something like that. Anyway, he's, he's like a climate researcher, but he basically uses um, some logic and states that, hey, there's all of this shit that they're talking about, which they, no one's proven anything of. And we're spending resources in that direction when there's a bunch of real problems that, would take a whole lot less resources to solve and we can fix those and they're real. So things like, you know, pollution in the fucking oceans, like, you know, plastic and stuff like that. Like let's, let's fix that first because that's what's actually destroying the environment. Not this idea of whatever the fuck global warming is. It's like, do we really know if it's the sun or the rotation of the earth or, you know, a much broader, um, you know, seismic, climactic event that's actually happening or is it us and our fossil fuels so it's like he debunks a lot of that stuff um so i've read like a summary of that book but yeah it's um they're, they're sort of three that come to mind for me that i think are really beautiful extensions of what you've put together here i mean unfortunately none of them really know or talk about bitcoin so i think you know what we're doing here and what you're doing with this work is pioneering the things that they talk about but through the lens of bitcoin which is really the inflection point it's it's what all of them are missing basically that's such a such an important point you just mentioned which is that as bitcoiners who feel compelled to create content and make this thing win it is our duty right now to reach out of our ecosystem and align with the people who have domain expertise let's say in energy or in any other category and turn them into bitcoin allies 
the people who are predisposed, who are who are like honest with the reality of the world and who will make a difference, we want them, right? One example is Jordan Peterson. Okay, Jordan Peterson. Well, he's got an army of people who align with Bitcoin values and they just didn't know it yet. Okay, it doesn't take long for someone who's predisposed to, to catch the bug. Um, I, I did I did record an interview with a evolutionary biologist who studies fungal economies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Same example. She's writing about fungi and economies. I send her this thing. We oh wow, that's kind of interesting. We record a conversation. Um, now we're friends, we talk, we're gonna record more and you know, okay, great. Let, let's break out and let's bring more people to run into this thing. Um, yeah, I just think that's so important. Absolutely, man. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, where can people find you? Um, and where can they read this? Yes. So Twitter is the best. B Quitum, uh, B Q U I T T E M, just B in my last name. Uh, most of my writing is on brandonquitum.com. However, this essay is on Medium uh, under the Bitcoin Times. You can find it. It's my pinned tweet right now. So that's the easiest way to find awesome. it. Um, my DMs are open on Twitter. Come say hello. And all the other essays I wrote are on my website. So if you like this, there's a few more kind of similar vibe. And Come totally. say hello. Amazing, amazing. And then um, and then people can buy some fucking Bitcoin, obviously, at Swan. Is it do you guys own Swan.com yet or we do, yes. Oh, you do? Okay. Awesome. Um uh, that's a new thing. We haven't been loud about it yet. Yeah, if you want to oh, buy okay. Bitcoin, uh swanbitcoin.com is where I work. It's a Bitcoin only exchange. Uh, we have a retail business, which makes it easy for DCA or, or smaller buys. And we have a whale business where you get like a one-on-one -on -one rep. Think like Morgan Stanley private client service or a movie retirement business or whatever. So kind of two sides of the business. If you go to swanbitcoin.com slash quitum, you get $10 for signing up. Free shill. Yes, that is my ref link. Um, <laughs> yes, I get paid awesome, if you sign up there. But you also get $10 of free Bitcoin. <laughs> That's it. So you should totally fucking do it. <laughs> All right, dude. Look, thank you so much for... Um, for coming on man um and for everything you do and i can't wait till we um till we catch up in meat space once again man likewise it was an honor great conversation too many ideas to go deal with now and i'll see you in miami <laughs> I, I hope you definitely will brother you will